Hey everybody, welcome to another podcast with Cribs. Before we get into our next guest, I just want to remind you that if you are looking for an investment property, looking for the next high growth market and want to know how to secure that good quality asset, you need to talk to me and the team. We are looking across the whole Australian Eastern Seaboard, only work with the best developers in the industry, can help you secure that asset, do the cash flows, have a good understanding about where you're going to find that growth. So ultimately, secure that investment and keep on building that fantastic portfolio to achieve the long-term dreams. Reach out to the team, have a chat to me, and let's get into this next show. Hey guys, Dominic Nesha here from Cribs, and you probably already know this man, but if you don't, Simon Cohen, founder of Cohen Handler. Mate, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Always you, good to be back. You've been killing it recently. You've got the new office refurb. I'm seeing the deals that you're doing, some pretty exciting, amazing properties, and 10 years in business. Maybe our marketing's been killing it, but yeah, no, things are going well, and uh, this month we do celebrate 10 years in business, so uh, it's a pretty exciting time for the whole team. Um, we're looking forward to having a big party in about a week and a half, and and just, just I guess, pretty pumped at where we have got to in 10 years and sort of what we stand for. How, how, how have you seen the industry change? Well, what's, what's been going on? What do you stand for? What's been happening from where you started to what's been happening today? Before we jump into the other stuff, I want to hear more about that. 10 years ago, when I told people I was starting a buyer's agency, they said, what the hell is a buyer's agent? I mean, it was a very unknown, um, uncommon service. And it took a long time to sort of get to where we are today. But today I would say buyer's agents are a huge part of of any sort of property purchase. They're a huge part of the process when people are looking to buy. And I guess our brand and our reputation is very known in the marketplace. And what we stand for is is delivering, I guess, an incredible customer experience to people who use us. And we have done that and we continue to do that. And it's something I think... I know, I know me and the rest of our team are, are super proud of because, you know, for us, it's about adding value. And every time we do a deal and we do that, um, and, and I guess we become part of our clients' lives and their journeys, um, you know, it's a, it's a very special outcome. You're, you're, you're working with clients um, at a critical junction in their lives. You're buying homes, you're buying investments, and and these are no small transactions. I see a lot of the deals that you're putting together, which off market and, and they're, they're substantial. So, highly emotional, uh, highly emotional thing to go through with people. They're pretty much spending the most of mo- most amount of money they'll ever spend on anything. And you, you, you usually have to get a husband and a wife uh, or a father and a son or whatever it is, two separate people to agree. Um, so yeah, a lot of psychology comes into it also. Yeah. So can can you just help elaborate a little bit more on, on the Cohen Handler brand, your promise mm. and what you actually represent? So people that are out there that are looking for buyer's agents, a lot of you do know what buyer's agents are. They're guys that go out or girls that go out and help you purchase a property. Um, that's a simplistic term. But what is the Cohen Handler way? Is it... Uh, homes is it investments is it a specific price band i only see dealing in the top end of town because your office is obviously in the eastern suburbs but one of our offices yeah tell me more look obviously first and foremost we're buyers agents we 
sort of started 10 years ago. And our point of difference is, you know, I have 35 buyers agents who work for me and they're all area experts. So when someone comes to us, if they're looking in the inner west, they're going to get an inner west expert. If they're looking in Vaucluse, which is my expertise, they're going to get me. And that's probably why you think that's what we do. If they're looking for an investment property, they'll deal with one of our investment specialists. So we are the biggest buyers agency in the country. And what that means is we just have more error experts than any other buyers agency, which means we can give our clients a far better service experience and outcome and add far more value because of the fact that they are getting people who specialize in what they look for instead of, you know, other buyers agents, which try cover a lot of ground, which, you know, there's no right or wrong, but I personally just don't think that it gives the client the outcome or the experience that someone who specializes in exactly the field they're looking in uh, will get. I completely agree with you. I've been working in real estate a little while now, and I can tell you when I'm hunting and shopping for stuff myself and I'm working with other agents, There's something that you get with a buyer's agent that goes deep and narrow in their area because they know all the other agents that are in the industry. They know the price is better than anyone else. They can move with a lot more speed. So when you know and you can ascertain a value... It's three things. It's access, right? And, you know, 60% of what we buy is off market. So it's access to a whole other marketplace that you're not getting. It's, It's advice and experience, you know, around what something's worth and why. And it's negotiation, getting something at the lowest price. To simplify it, it's literally those three points. All right, let's jump into some of these questions. Um, When we are buying, Mm. and I want to talk about investment properties because a lot of my viewers and clients and people that are listening um, are investors. Yep. Do What tools or... um, process or what kind of things do you use i know that you you obviously have a lot locked up in here but are you using um like square meter rates to ascertain value using excel spreadsheets are there interesting websites that you like to jump on what kind of tools and things do you use to help buy property particularly for investment we are we are the tools and so you know, one, it comes back to the fact that you're dealing with an area expert and you got to remember they're living and breathing that marketplace. So, you know, in any building, right, you can have an apartment that sells for 2 million and you can have an apartment that sells for 1 million. If you're just looking at the comparable sales, you know, and the real estate agents doing their job and saying, hey, it's sold for 2 million, you, you have to understand why something sold for two and why something sold for one, right? On paper, they could both be two bed, two bath, one parking, but the one that's sold for two might have panoramic views and the one that's sold for one might look into a building, right? And so for us, it's it's one, living and breathing our marketplace and seeing everything that's selling so we understand what something's worth and why and how it compares to everything else. Two, obviously, we're going to run a, a comparable sales report like so we can see what has sold, what it's sold for. And from that, you'll run square meter rates and stuff. But it's square meter rates isn't isn't the biggest thing you know, it really comes down to more comparable sales, scarcity, and by scarcity, I mean, how rare is this, right? If it's a two-bedroom apartment in Zetland, it has a pretty low scarcity, right? If it's a two-bedroom apartment, you know, close to um, the Wallara Village in an Art Deco building, you know, that's got a great scarcity value. So we look at things like that to ascertain what's a good investment and what isn't, right? You know, to simplify it, something that's cookie cutter is typically not going to be something that we're attracted to. It's something with a a unique selling proposition that's going to 
that's going to be attractive to more tenants and to more buyers when you when you come to sell it. So, you know, it's the obvious things like RP data, you know, where we get our comparable sales from. We figure out what square meter rates are. We work out what improvements they made to the property. We've looked at what unrenovated and renovated sell for versus each other, what things are going to rent for. Um, there's no other particular, you know, domain real estate. They're all great. They come up with those values you can't value something like that. You actually have to see it and understand what work they've done to it, what views it has, how many flights of stairs, if there's a lift. That you know that alters the price of a property dramatically. And so a desktop valuation can't do that. So how important is it to get out there, physically get your hands dirty, kick Incredible. Stone? Incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important. Like I said, unless you're seeing the difference between certain products, you are going to get the wall pulled over your eyes and you're going to end up a overpaying or b buying the wrong product okay now when you're because you're obviously dealing with a lot of agents you you i, I dare say know all the agents in your patch don't dare i do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so if if a buyer is coming into the market um what are are there any hints or tips for them to deal with agents questions to ask things that they should be doing when they're working with agents like how how deep do they get into that market when they're trying to get they're not going to get to your level of expertise mm. in a couple of weeks or months but what things should they be considering when they're trying to engage agents and questions that should be asking to get a sense of value but then also um you know develop their readiness to go and buy properly okay i think the first thing is and the biggest mistake people make is that they, 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 they feel like they have to work against the selling agent, right? They almost put this barrier up and it's like they've got to be cagey, they've got to like play games. I actually think that that's a total wrong way to do things, right? Trying to extract like information from an agent, like trying to have a relationship with anyone, and you're only going to do that if there's trust and if you like each other. And if you want to deal with each other. And the only way to do that is to create a bond and a relationship from the beginning. And I believe that if you're looking to buy or you're looking to get information, you have to be as transparent, as open as you possibly can in the beginning so that you create a rapport with the agent, so that the agent likes you, so that you're top of mind and that they want to deal with you. I also think that if you're going through a property and an agent's quoting 2 to 2.2, you know, an incredibly important question is to say, well, do you feel it's going to sell in that price range or do you have an idea of what the owner would take prior to auction? Because you'll probably find it's going to be over 2.2, right? Auction price guides versus what things sell for or what owners take are two very different things. Um, I think, you know, I would ask agents how they came up with the price. You know, what do they think it will end up at an auction day? Um, what do they think it'll be worth if it was renovated, you know, things like that. But but for me, the main thing is really building that rapport in the beginning because you're ultimately going to get the mo- you're going to get the most out of anyone in any negotiation if they trust and like you. If you feel if they feel like they're working against you, there's going to be a lot holding back, and you're really going to get nothing, except potentially like dishonesty. Okay, so I take from that just be transparent as much as you Absolutely. can. Absolutely. Develop a high quality relationship, be good and and not try and be combative and just work with the agent to... It it changes when you get to a negotiation stage, right? But at negotiation stage, you found the property, so it's very different. But if you're a new person walking into a marketplace and 
you want to try and get access or you want to try and have something swung in your way or your favor, you really need to create that rapport and that relationship because like anyone else, you're just a number. And you either need to be that number that's highlighted or you can be the number that's vanilla. And, you know, there's there's only a few ways to, to do that. Yeah, do they save the num- your number in their phone or correct. is it just some random... Correct, know? correct. Okay, and I'm, I'm asking some of these questions selfishly as well because I'm hunting again. Sure. But how many hours does it take to... to to really get a sense of value? Like, is do we need to be working as long as you have in Vaucluse to understand value or to be understanding value in, in, in Marrickville? Or is it is it if I went and dedicated myself every weekend and sat up at night and Googled and set my lists and all that kind of stuff, is it is it a matter of months and I'll know value fairly well or well enough to really ascertain? You can sit up all night. It'll make no difference. The reality is the value of having been through all the other properties that have sold compared to what you're looking at and also knowing what they sold for three years ago versus now because we're in a very different marketplace than we were three years ago, right? There's property that sold a year ago for $2 million that's selling now for $3 million. 12 months later, it's absurd, right? But unless you know what's going on in that marketplace compared to a lot, you know, I don't know. There is no amount of hours. Um, You really just have to understand what's going on in your marketplace and and not get caught up also in some out-of-line sales. There's a whole lot that goes into it. You know, it's not just just a, a matter of hours. It's like what's sold in this market compared to the last market, if the market were to shift, why one thing sold compared to another. Um... If you're buying this property, is it a property that's likely to go crazy at auction? Because not everything, you know, certain properties will go crazy at auction, certain properties won't sell at all, right? So you've got to understand the product. Um, There's so many facets to it. I think if you were going out there and you were looking in Marrickville, Dom, you know, I would would go back a year, have a look at everything that's sold, compare to it, compare the property you're looking at to everything else in the marketplace that's sold. You know, look at the highest priced two-bedroom apartments, for example, if that's what you're looking for, and see what made them get the highest prices. Was it the fact that they had no stairs? Was it the fact that they had a balcony? Was it the fact that they could walk to shops or a train station? Whatever it might be, compare those facets or those assets compared to the one you're looking at because you want to tick as many of those off so you know you're buying the right product at the end of the day. That's really interesting, actually. I hadn't thought about it in quite that way. So have a look at what is the most expensive or what's the most desirable. What is the most attractive? Yeah. doesn't need to be the most expensive because um, the most expensive probably might be $6 million, But what is the most attractive $2 million property? And, and try look for that because that's ultimately going to be your best investment. So, and this is off cuff here, but do you think that the market... Um, has more steam in it because it has kicked and I can feel it and I'm going out and seeing different uh, open house inspections and it's a, it, it feels not boom time, but it does feel quite energetic. Oh, it's it's very lively. Yeah. Uh, do I, I don't know. You know, every time I think interest rates are going to stay the same, they drop. Yeah. And I think, you know, what people could spend 1.5 on, they can now spend two on, but two is getting them what 1.5 was. So they just have more debt for the same product. Um, I think it makes far more sense for people to buy than rent with interest rates this low. I think unless a heap of stock comes on the market, 
which I think is highly unlikely. Um, I don't think we're going to see much change for the first half of next year. As in, um, it's, it, it's going to keep the same steam that it has I think now. so, yeah. Okay, well, that's pretty scary. And, and then if actually, you talk to a lot smarter people than me, they all think the same. I've heard the same thing. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Bloomberg's did a... a... Far smarter guy than I am. <laughs> they did a report and asked all the, the local economists from the different banks and said, where do you see the market going? They all said there's going to be an interest rate drop in, in February next year, or they assume there's going to be an interest rate drop in February. And then you have a look at uh, Moody's report. There's going to be a 10 to 15% increase. CBA said the same thing. Um, SQM research said the same thing. There's a lot of people thinking that where um, the market's going to move. And with that in mind, if you are a purchaser or if you're putting your purchaser hat on now, would you be willing to spend a little overs to what that property would have got, you know, a couple of months earlier? You have to or you're not going to buy anything. Interesting. I mean, that if you're looking on market and on your own, the reality is you have to. You have to spend the, the market has changed. It is, it is not the same market today as it was twelve or six months ago, and that means what something's worth today is different to what it was worth six or twelve months ago. Okay, and and I'm I'm noticing something now. Obviously, clearance rates, auction clearance rates have been doing very well in yep. Sydney. Um, do you attend many auctions? I do. Have you got some hints and tips for how to behave at an auction? Um, it's all it's all auction specific, right? You you have to behave um, in response to how everyone else acts or behaves. And so there is no right or wrong way. I think, though, if I were to give someone a tip, it would be to stand at the back and be as calm and collective as you possibly can. Don't get emotional. I have seen people bid against themselves way too many times. What does that mean, bid against yourself? Um, so I bid 880, right? And there's just like so much going on. I then bid against myself 890, right? Biggest mistake anyone can make, but it happens. And so I say, stand at the back, watch your competition, stay calm, cool, collected. Know that it's not going to sell without you, right? Like auctioneers are great at getting you to think something's going to happen, but... You know, the amount of times I said, hey, stop, and they'll wait five minutes, right? Like, they're never going to throw down the hammer without you as long as you make yourself known. Don't get emotional. Hold on a second. So you, you've been in an auction and you've actually asked the auctioneer to stop or wait a second so 100%. you can collect yourself. And, and that's, it's not me. It's so my client can realign or reassess what they want to do. I don't, I'm very cool in auctions. I'm good. But yeah. you can ask an auctioneer to stop at any time and they will. That's very interesting because I think that you get caught up in the energy of it all and you feel like it's moving without you. Correct. All you have to do is say, hey, one minute. Let me think. And they'll stop. Because they want to sell it. No, they want to get as much money as possible. And if you're going to bid another 10 grand, which means I'll bid another 10 grand, they'll take as long as they can. I watched an auction on Wednesday, started $7.5 million and it sold for $12.8 million. It went up that much in a 20-minute span and there was someone phone bidding who was the underbidder and they waited like seven minutes each time but it got the owner 12.8 million that's an incredible result and let me ask you are there some things that you shouldn't do that are just clear indications that you're being emotional or or 
moving haphazardly or some things that are just like that person there is doing the wrong thing. Yep, look agitated, bit against yourself, don't know your limit, right? So the person who's running out of steam, you know they're running out of steam. So like if they have to stop and like three minutes later, they're like, okay, I'll go another thousand dollars, you know you've got them. The person who looks like their their pockets are never going to run out of cash, they're typically the people who are going to get it. Okay, so let me just help me summarize that. So the person there that's kind of looking a bit frantic, he doing $1,000 increments and... Is running out of money. Uh-huh. He who bids strong shows a sign of strength and power. The what, anytime I see someone in an auction having to take time, like being convinced by the agent to, to bid, they're pretty much at the end of their tether. Okay, and and do you then jump into the thousand dollar increments and the five hundred dollar? Hundred percent. No point spending more money than you have to if you're at that stage. Okay, is that not telling you that you're hitting the end of your tether or? No, because I'll go a thousand, a thousand, a thousand, a thousand, a thousand, a thousand. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And is there any is there anything in that that says oh that, that we're creeping up too slowly and you're dragging them along for this? Well, no, ride? no. We're only at that point where the other person's pretty much run out of steam. I'm not going to pay an extra ten grand if I can pay an extra thousand dollars. I see what you're saying. So you're you're you can see that they're out of steam and you're going to drag them and find out where it is. Correct. Otherwise, if when if people aren't out of steam, I'm not going to waste everyone's time and bid a thousand dollars. Those people never get it. Makes perfect sense. Now, let me ask you, um, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see and experience in a negotiation, whether against someone or that you've worked with clients? What are some things you try and avoid? In a negotiation, I think, I really think it's emotion. You know, one of the most upsetting transactions I ever had was I had a deal done at, at $6 million dollars. And my client decided to come sit down on the couch with me and the agent and the agent got in front of him and got the best of him and got him to offer 6.2 million. Now I was dying inside because I knew we had a deal at six, but the agent whose job it is to try to get as much as possible, pushed him up to 6.2 and he did it. And I think that that really just came down to emotion and you've really got to step away from that. And I think people really make that mistake. They think that they, they don't have time. Or in other scenarios, people think they have all the time when another buyer swoops in and exchanges. If, if, you know, so you really have to read the scenario you're in. So don't get caught up in your emotions with, with these types of buyers. Um, and it, what, does that mean that when you are purchasing, you're very clear on what your budget is? Or what price you're willing to take? Is it, is it just is it as definitive as that? Well, for me, you know, I think when we're at the negotiation stage, we've decided that it's the property and it's sort of the right price, right? But I think it's about going in armed and dangerous with all the things you need to try and convince the owner that this is the right offer to take and that why you're the right person to sell it to, right? And you need to go in with a strategy that's going to get the property across the line. In the current market we're in, you know, the biggest problem isn't owners. It's it's other buyers. It's competition, right? So we're actually in a market where, where 
Power is time, it's speed. So if you can get yourself in a position where you can get a deal done and you're not bidding against other buyers who are pushing the price up, you're going to ultimately get the best outcome. And so you really have to read the situation you're in. I hope I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So if you're hunting, you're looking at a property, you found something that you like, um, you want to assess the situation. Are there other buyers? Is it a hot market? Are you going? You're approaching auction. Um, understand what you have available to you so you can sort of dictate the terms or the pace or the speed of the transaction. Um, are you... What are some of the things that you're saying that you're armed and dangerous? What makes you armed and dangerous in a, in a transaction or buyer? Comparable sales, things that are going to make the, the owner realize that it's time to do a deal, an exchangeable contract, a check, and a 66W. That's really it. Okay, so you quite literally have comparable sales ready on hand. Yeah, me, they're in my mind, but you need to be like, well, I don't understand why you want 2.3 when the next door semi sold for 2.1. You know, we're going to offer you two one fifty, getting a fifty thousand dollar bonus here. Um, But my offer only lasts for another five hours, so I need to sort of understand where we're at. Um, I also think that if you go in with the cash on the table, which is a check, a contract, a sixty six W, it talks. That's a very visceral experience. It talks. You know, here's my two point one million dollars. It's a lot stronger than. You know, a little Would email. You accept? Hi, Mr. Agent. I'd like to offer $2.1 million. Let me know. Have a lovely day. Like, that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you'll go in with the check, with the contract. Everything's there. The I will sit real. outside the house and wait. and Like, whatever it takes to get it done. But money talks. <laughs> if you're selling your car and someone rocks up with a bag of cash, it's attractive to sell it, right? Yeah. Have you got any stories for us? Any stories for... for I, don't us? Know, I don't know if we have enough time. I've got a lot of stories. <laughs> Listen. I want to hear about some of your buying power. Give us something. What, what you've done to get a deal done in the past. Something that you've, you know, you felt was, I'm going to go out on a limb here and work and get this deal. That's pretty much every deal, if I'm being honest with you. But I think, you know, I have... Okay, there was once a, a block of apartments I was buying in Bronte and they had offer an acceptance with another buyer. The other buyer was delivering a contract at midday the next day, right? I This was a Sunday. Midday the next day was a Monday because their lawyer needed to prepare everything in the morning. I wanted to sell to my buyers. So what I did was I got the owners to sign a contract at the price they would sell at, took their contract, hopped on a flight to Melbourne to meet my client at 6 a.m. the next morning, who was a doctor who was doing a conference, so he was in Melbourne. At breakfast at the Langham Hotel, he signed the contract. I dated them, so it was an exchange. And by the time I had flown to Melbourne, spent the night and flown back to Sydney, the other buyer hadn't even got their shit together, so our deal was done. They're the sort of things you have to do. So did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? If you want to get a deal done, get the contract and do whatever it takes. Get the last flight out of Sydney Airport on a Sunday night. (laughs) <laughs> it was quite fun actually but yeah they're all they're all very similar to that yeah 
Simon, thank you very much for coming in today. Pleasure, mate. Mate, it's always good seeing you. I love seeing all your, your updates. And, and um, listen, to any of you out there, follow Simon on Instagram. He's got some incredible properties that he's buying. It's um, it's a little depressing at times. Join the say. club. None of them are for me. <laughs> I got to see them every day. And then I go home and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Motivation to keep on yeah, exactly. flying around and getting deals You can done. look at it that way. You can look at it that way. Mate, thank you very Pleasure. much. Thanks for having me. Catch you again. See you later, guys.